when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if God were not in on it. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me, unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born who has already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying with this born from above talk? Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, this wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that. A body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. So don't be surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above, out of this world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees. But you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone born from above by the wind of God, by the Spirit of God. Welcome this morning to Victory. How many of you were blessed by the presence of God in our worship service? Put your hands together. just want to pray right now after that passage of Scripture. Father, I just submit myself to you today. Thank you for each and every one of these precious people. Thank you, Lord, for, for those that will listen to this off of our website in the future. Holy Spirit of God, you're the only teacher. I can't do anything apart from you. Lord, I acknowledge that, and I thank you that with you I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I just bow my heart, I humble myself before you, and I ask you to do what no man can do. You're the only teacher. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us hearts to perceive and understand. Minister to each person here today intimately and specifically at each of their personal points of need. Be Lord in this service today. You're already here, we know that. Speak to us today from your word, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. If you love the Lord, say amen. amen. Praise God. It is a blessing to be with you today. Today's our first message in a new series called Elemental. And I, I'm, I am so excited about this series. I've been preparing for it actually for a couple of months. Been in the scripture, especially just immersing myself in John 14, 15, and 16. That's a tremendously intimate passage that Jesus shared with his disciples just before he was betrayed by Judas, before he was scourged by 
Pontius Pilate, before he was judged by Pilate, before he was hung on the cross and crucified and buried in the grave, and on the third day rose again. This passage from John 13, all the way through the end of the gospel, deals with that very night. Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John 13. And in 14, 15, and 16, he's talking to them about the importance of this one that he's going to send. He says, look, guys, I've been with you. I've been a friend. I've been a comforter to you, but I'm going to go away. And it's better actually. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. You know, we're really just kind of getting used to this whole idea about you being king. And folks are really kind of excited about what's going on. And, you know, you got a pretty good crowd. The latest marketing survey shows that they, you know, last Sunday was pretty awesome. Don't you remember when you came into Jerusalem, they cut the branches down out of the trees and threw their robes out there and said, Hosanna to the king, the son of David. We got a good thing going. What do you mean you're going away? You got a trip planned? No, no, no. You guys don't even understand. I'm, where I'm going, you can't go, but you will go eventually. And he said, I'm going to the Father to prepare a place for you. And in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus begins to unveil the importance of the one he's about to send, and that is the Spirit of Christ himself. That's God's Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit himself. Elemental is a word that, that means basic. It's, it's like a combination of elementary and fundamental put together. And it's not just a play on words here in terms of something that is elemental, but it also relates to the elements. And if you look at it, it almost looks like the periodic table. And the little three over the side signifies one God, but we see him as three in one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Deuteronomy 6 says, The Lord our God is one Lord. But we know that he is Lord Jesus Christ. He's Father, he is Son, he is Holy Spirit, the elements of the old world, I'm going to give you a $100 word here, in the Aristotelian, Aristotle is the root, in the Aristotelian view of the old world, there were four elements that made up the known universe. They were wind and fire and water and earth. Say them with me. Here we go. Wind, fire, water, and earth. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that every one of these is either a picture or a type. Greek word tupos. Now, you can tell somebody you know a little Greek. Everybody say tupos. It's for the English word type, and it's, they, they are a type or a shadow. They're a prophetic picture that demonstrates to us some aspect of the person or the work of the Holy Spirit. This morning, we're going to be talking about the wind. Thanks to our media team, great job on the, the sound of the wind and the tree that's bending because that's literally a picture of what happened on the day of Pentecost. It is also what the Word says here in the Gospel of John that we just read, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. You hear the wind, you hear the sound of it, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. The wind blows where it wishes. Now, I'm not using King James because nobody talks that way anymore. The wind bloweth where it lifteth. That's what King Jimmy said. <laughs> the wind bloweth where it listeth. Now, what does that mean? Well, it, the wind blows where it wishes. In other words, there is an unpredictability about this aspect of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God who is likened to wind. You, you, you can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. You can sense it. You can feel it. There's nothing so wonderful as the smell that you get that enhances the senses after a thunderstorm and the lightning has struck. And we understand now that it's literally the creation of new ozone. 
and you smell that fresh smell, and the wind blows, and it just gives this refreshing. Wind is a tremendous picture to us in the Scripture because the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, they were in accord in one place, praying and seeking the face of God, waiting for the promise of the Father that the Bible says in Luke chapter 24. He said, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Enduo means to put on garments. It's like they were not fully clothed with the Spirit, but God's saying, I want you to hang around in Jerusalem because I've got something for you. Something's coming. You think what I've had while I've been here has been good? Boys, I'm telling you something even better is on the way, and I want you to hang around until you put on some spiritual garments, until you're endued with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, verses 49, tells us that. And he begins to reveal... In the Gospel of John, particularly John 14, 16, he says, listen, boys, I'm going to bring you another comforter. Everybody say, Jesus is the comforter. The Holy Spirit is another comforter. The Bible says, I'm going to give you another comforter. The, the, the Greek word is parakletos. We get the English word paraclete. Para means alongside. A parachurch ministry comes alongside the church to minister alongside the church, kletos, parakletos, is from the root word kaleo, which means to call. So the Holy Spirit is a helper who comes alongside. He is called to walk alongside the believer, another comforter. He will comfort you in the same way that Jesus did. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going away, and it's actually better for you that I do go away. If I don't go away, the comforter can't come. And because he did go away, and 50 days after his resurrection, Pentecost takes place, and we're marching toward that. Pentecost is actually May the 23rd, and we're going through this four-part series to carry us up to just prior to Pentecost. And so the next four Sundays, we're going to be talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Today is the wind, and I want to liken this whole thing about the wind to the life that God has called you to adventure. Everybody say, adventure. Now, I just want you to know that in John 14, when Jesus starts talking about preparing a place, it has nothing to do with some of the stuff that we grew up singing in Southern Gospel music about a mansion. The mansion is not for us. The mansion is for God. And it's not a great big 50-room McMansion. It's, it's all about, and if you read in John 14, it's saying over and over three times, it's the, it's the Greek word mane, which is the noun form of the Greek word minnow, to abide. And it's, a, it's an abiding place. It's a resting place. In my Father's house are many abiding places, resting places. And he goes on to say in John 14 that I will come and take up my abode, and I and the Holy Spirit will come, and we will not only be with you, but we will mane. We will be in you. We, you will be the mansion everybody remember the little was it the little nursery rhyme the house that Jack built do you remember that okay I don't you remember what was the story that you heard as a as a child the house that Jack built you remember anybody am I like a nut or crazy or something <laughs> somebody the building something that Jack built I want you to turn to somebody right now and I want you to tell them you are the house that Jesus built he is building, present tense. He is doing a work on the inside of you. Heaven is not so much about old English Tudor-styled or California 
or arts and crafts, or you know, everybody's going to get their own mansion. First of all, I want to know, what are you going to do with it when you do? There's not going to be any bedrooms because there's no more night and there's no more sleep because we're going to have glorified bodies. And if I've got my own and my wife has her own and my daughter has her own and everybody, and everybody has their own mansion, then, then what, what, are we, what are we going to do? I'm going to have a 50-room house and nobody living in it but me? It doesn't even make any sense. The mansion is for God, and I am the mansion, and you are the mansion, and he's building his work on the inside of you. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Heaven's going to be the biggest Vista home show you've ever seen in your life. Because it's everything that's not right right now. I'm in a renovating process. I'm trying to tear out some stuff. I'm trying to tear out some excess, uh, an unnecessary room. And I'm trying to rebuild and renew by the power of the Holy Spirit. And more so than just the natural, God's doing a work in my spirit, man. He's doing something in the house that Jesus is building. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, that you are the temple, the Bible says. We're not talking about a new temple being built somewhere. The Scripture says you are the temple, not made with hands, filled with the Spirit of the living God. What's the one thing? i got one thing, and i got to hit the ground running this morning. What? Our worship was so amazing. The presence of God just... If, if I didn't even preach today, I, I've already been fed. I've already been ministered to. How, how many of you were touched by that? Amen. Praise God. The one thing. Look at your notes. Read this out loud with me. Life in the Spirit is God's calling us to an indescribable adventure. Say it one more time. Life in the Spirit is God's calling us to an indescribable adventure. Adventure. First of all, I just want you to see this morning, this is a one-point message. We're going to come back every time. Life in the Spirit is God's calling us to an indescribable adventure. It is an amazing, overwhelming possibility that God, point number one, that He calls us to know Him. Say that with me. He calls us to know Him. John 17, 3, the Bible says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know God. Really? To know the unknowable one? To know the transcendent one, the one who is omni-everything, and I am not omni-anything? To begin to walk with, to begin to try to understand His thoughts that are higher than my thoughts and His ways that are much farther a heaven and an earth above all of my ways? To begin to know Him, that is what Jesus Christ came to do and present for us and to give us a picture. And He went away to send us someone who would come alongside us, a helper, a paraclete, a comforter, a counselor, a teacher, a guide. All of those are titles that are used right there in John 14, 15, and 16 for the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, I hate religion. And more than anything, I hate Southern churchianity. Southern churchianity is like a bad vaccination. You know what a vaccination is? A vaccination is, when I was a kid, I have a smallpox scar on my arm over here, right at my shoulder. And you know what they did? They, they took dead smallpox germs and they, they worked them into this vaccination and they injected a dead germ into me so that if I ever did in my lifetime come in contact with a living 
smallpox germ that I would have an immunity built up in me that would ward off the living real thing. Some of you know where I'm going already. Religion, pharisaical, legalistic, you can put any denominational name you want on it. And we're not against denominations because the body of Christ is bigger than any of the one that we can come from. And all of our heritages are good and godly, whether you come from Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or Episcopalian or, or Roman Catholic or whatever, any of those. Somebody said one time, wait a minute, you mean Catholics can be saved? And I go, well, can Baptists be saved too? <laughs> what kind of question is that? There's some saved folks in every one of those churches. And there's a few idiots in all of them too. I know we don't have any of those here. <laughs> Present company excluded. <laughs> Every church is an opportunity for the gospel to be declared and for the life-changing, life-transforming power of God to come in. Let me tell you something. What we are striving, what I'm trying to do as a visionary sent from God here in this church, I'm not responsible for any brother's church in the city. But I'm responsible for this one, and I'm telling you, I'm laboring, I'm crying out to God, I'm trying to birth a baby here, that where we have an atmosphere of grace, that people who are not perfect, this is the perfect place for you, because ain't nobody in the house perfect, including the pastor. Oh God, give us an atmosphere of grace and deal with our tendency. It's so easy. That when we as prodigal sons come home, it's so easy that in just a few short weeks we can take on the spirit of the elder brother and when the next prodigal shows up, we look down our long noses of self-righteousness. God, help us and forgive us for that mess. Let grace always abound in the house of God. That's why Jesus basically said as an admonition in the book of Revelation, look, you folks are religious and you got on a good show, but the prostitutes and the drunkards and the thieves are going to enter the kingdom before you get in because you're moving in so much pharisaical judgmentalism. God, don't let that be in this place. Let us love people. Let us let them come in here and like a hospital, let's receive them and all of their junk. Because if you're really honest, ain't nobody in here honestly has every one of your little duckies in a row yet. If you really believe what I just said, don't give me a little half-hearted patty cake. Give God some praise, okay? We've been inoculated with a dead germ. Therefore, when we come into contact with something that is real, it's too easy to try to compartmentalize it and say, oh, they're fanatics down there. You know, I don't really know what I think about this, that church down there at that mall. That crazy preacher, he, he, he doesn't look like the rest of the preachers in town. They're supposed to be fat and drive Cadillacs. <laughs> have bad hair. My, it is pretty bad these days, I know. And I am fat, but uh, anyway, I'm working on that. <laughs> hey, at least he has a sense of humor about it. <laughs> Helen Keller said, life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing. I am so tired of religion that sucks the life out of people. Yes. I'm so tired of the expectation that you come in and you've got a certain sort of mode that you got to do and you got to sing only three songs you do the first, second, and fourth verse. You know why a lot of people have left out the third verse in so many of the great hymns? And let me tell you something, the hymns aren't dead, it's been the people that have been singing them that have been dead. 
I'm not against hymns. We do hymns around here. And thank God this morning my daughter sang Amazing Grace with that newly revised part of My Chains Are Gone. Amazing Grace, thank God, was written by a slave trader. And it's still as powerfully anointed today as it was when it was written over 350 years ago. A faithful scribe of the new covenant will pull out of his treasure both new and old. We're never leaving the old. We are, thank God, rooted to the historical vine of Christianity. We're going to abide in that vine. There's some things we're never going to leave, but I'm going to tell you stuff that ain't working, stuff that doesn't get the job done. If the anointing of God's not on it, we're going to say, bye-bye, baby. We won't wherever the presence of God is. I'm sick of Southern Churchianity. I want the real thing. I want the Holy Ghost of God moving in my life because it's an adventure that will absolutely radically change your life away with this foolishness that we just get so caught in a religion that basically is all the prohibitions, everything that you can't do. It's nothing but a list of do's and don'ts. It's, it's emphasizing the prohibitions instead of what God has provided for you. I was in the neighborhood trying to do my 5K this week, and I was just praying, just seeking the face of God, crying out to God. And the Spirit of the Lord whispered something in my heart, and I heard it. Something for me personally that I'm not sharing, but something for this church and for this message. He said, take action. He said, throw yourself into the purpose of God for your life, and He will lead you into an indescribable adventure. One more time. Take action. Throw yourself into the purpose of God for your life, and He will lead you into an indescribable adventure. God, who is the creator of the universe, is personally involved in his creation. Revelation 21.4 says he is making all things new. That is a change that we all desperately need, is to be transformed. To always be open to the next thing that he wants to do in us. Can somebody say amen? That blows my mind. It's an exciting life that God has called us to. Not only has he called us to know him, but number two, he has called us to walk with him. He's called us to walk with him because life in the spirit, what is our one thing? Life in the spirit is God calling us to an indescribable adventure. He calls us to walk with him. Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Everybody say, Daddy, God. Abba. Abba. That's a derivative of my little girl's name, Abby. We have a 22-year-old son. We have a 15-year-old daughter. Some of you go, why, why was all this space between there? Well, we didn't really know if we were going to be able to have any children for a season there. And I was visited by, and I'm going to say something, this may shock some of you, but I do believe that God has prophets today. was visited by a friend of mine years ago, Stacy Wood. He's gone on to be with the Lord since then. He stood in our children's ministry. Just a brief testimony. This is not in my notes, but I'm prompted by the Spirit to share this. Everybody say, Abba. Amen. We stood in the children's ministry, and he, he began, we prayed, and he said, I just sensed the Spirit of God in this place and what God is going to do in a generation that he's going to raise up. And he's just basically very calmly, and I knew he was prophesying, and he said, Michael, he said, I see a little girl coming into your life. And he, he said, she is going to be a great source of joy. <laughs> Baby, I don't want to make you cry, but I can't even tell this. Because Dawn had picked the name Abigail Elizabeth before Abby was ever born. And Abby in Hebrew means my father's joy. And the, the literal translation means source of joy. 
<laughs> Standing in kingdom, kids, and a prophet of God takes my hand and he says, I see a little girl coming into your life. And he says, she's going to be a great source of joy. And I just began to weep because I knew God was talking to me. I knew, that, I knew that the source of joy that we'd prayed for, that the little Abigail that he was going to bring, and he said, she's going to sing the praises of God. Don't tell me that God who holds your life in his hand doesn't have a full awareness of what you're going to face tomorrow in your circumstances. About 11 months later, Abigail Elizabeth was born. Some of you have some promises this morning that you're standing on and you're wondering if they're ever going to come to pass. And you know that God has planted... Now, some of you guys might have a problem struggling with this, but God has almost made you pregnant, men and women, with a sense of hope in your spirit. And you know that God hasn't quite birthed this thing yet. It may be a business. It may be a, a marriage that's flourishing. It may be God putting something back together between parents and children. I, I, I don't know what dream you might have that you might think is broken this morning, but I want to tell you God knows the details and He knows the ins and outs of your life. And if you will take action and throw yourself into the purpose and the will of God for your life, He will invite you and He will lead you into the greatest, most indescribable adventure than you can ever begin to ask or imagine. He calls us to walk with Him. One of the principles of the Holy Spirit is this. The Bible says the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives you assurance. He makes you know when the enemy tries to come and challenge you and tell you, no, you're not really a Christian. That You didn't get saved. You just said some words. It wasn't really real. But it's the Spirit of God. It's that thing on the inside of you. Just like when Elizabeth and Mary were together and they're both pregnant and John the Baptist is in the womb of Elizabeth and Jesus is in the womb of Mary as they come together and, and, and they, they were worshiping and fellowshipping and the babe leaped in the womb. Now, let me tell you something. When you get in the presence of God in the worship like we had this morning, you can sense something leap up on the inside of you. That's the Spirit of God saying, I got your back, baby. I'm with you. I'm your paraclete. I'm going to walk alongside you. I'm going to cover and protect. I'm going to guard and guide you. Come on, is there anybody in the house this morning with a little bit of praise? Because I want you to get your praise on. I need me about a half black church to help me do what I really feel. I know you we folks are white. You can't help it, I know. <laughs> I was born a poor black child. <laughs> a day in the life of Jesus is never boring. Now, I'm going to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. Mm. The Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard. <laughs> I told you I was going to the other side. <laughs> Believe that boredom is the root of all evil. Look at your neighbor and say this right now. Tell him, say, neighbor, you can't walk by faith and be bored at the same time. Everybody, come on, say, I walk by faith. Each step by faith. To live by faith. I put my trust in you. One more time, say, you can't walk by faith. Say it with me. You can't walk by faith and be bored. God has called you to a life of adventure.
and it's with the Holy Spirit. Young people are leaving the church in droves because they sense judgmentalism and moralistic hypocrites. I called Rusty Bland this week. He pastors First Assembly of God. I said, Rusty, you've been on my heart all week long. What's going on? I said, we try to pray for churches in this city just to help our own congregation know that the body of Christ is bigger than just what we've got going on at Victory. And we've called the names of different pastors. Clay Hallmark's a great friend of mine at Marion First Baptist. And this morning, right now, I meant to do this earlier, and I don't want to, I don't want to lose my word. I gave Rusty my word. Let me tell you why, what he asked me to pray for. He said, Pastor Michael, you would not believe the timeliness of your call. He said, the statistics in our own denomination and the Assemblies of God show that massive numbers of young people after they're 18 years old and they grow up in our youth groups and they get saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, he said they go to college and 80% of them never come back. He said, I'm terrified. My own denomination. He said, add to that what's happening among the Southern Baptists and among all these young people of this generation right now are leaving the church in droves because they're not seeing the reality. They're seeing something that is 50 years old that, is, that no longer has any life in it. And people that are just there living in a dead old, dried out religious routine, they've been inoculated with a dead germ and they want to step back and tell anybody that gets a little bit of excitement on them that, oh, that's fanatical. When the youth are crying out for the real thing contagious, make me infectious with the living germ of the gospel. And I want to tell you, if God has to conduct some terroristic biological warfare and send us a whole new strain, something fresh and new that will overpower the immunity that has hit the southern churchianity, He will do that in order to get our attention because God wants to save a generation. I believe that with all of my heart. Most love Jesus, but they hate the church they see today. Where's the disconnect? I just want to tell you, I, I'm not going to live like that. This church, as long as God graces me to lead it, is not going to live like that. We're not going to do church like that. Last six months have been difficult because we've been trying to bring in some God-ordained changes. And, and, and Rusty said this. He said, Michael, for three years I've been preaching. He said, now I'll just say this, and everybody knows this, and I'm not saying this in any kind of negative way. He said, I know my church is a traditional church. They're a wonderful church. They've been in this city for decades. He said, but I've been preaching three years. We've got to make changes. We've got to make changes, and they're shouting me down. They're shouting me down. Got to make changes. So I said, three months ago, it's time we put legs on these prayers, and they, they moved their traditional 11 o'clock service to their family life center out of the sanctuary and went totally contemporary, and people are just freaking out. I just want to say to, my, to our own congregation here, this is what we've been doing around here is not just me losing my mind. Preachers all over the country, right here, not just go to do th cool things they're doing at church in Memphis, but another one of my brothers just right down Missouri here is wrestling, crying out to God, going, God, what's it going to take by the power of the Holy Spirit, by some friction of the hand of God, by the rubbing of the oil into these old wineskins so that they can be renewed to receive a fresh installation of the new wine of the Spirit of God? And it's uncomfortable. It means moving out of our comfort zones. It means doing stuff we've never done before. It means opening ourselves up with a fresh heart and a new attitude, saying, God, I'm willing to do anything because I don't want to live a dead existence. I want an adventure in the Spirit. Amen. Invite the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow through your life. Take us where we have never gone on our own. I just want to ask you this morning, if you're not experiencing that, your God is too small and your gospel is too safe. I'm going to say that again. 
If you're not experiencing an adventure in your spiritual walk, your God is too small and your gospel is too safe. God wants to break you out of your comfort zones. Think about this. The disciples' journey that they had, they drank the wine that got turned from water. They cleaned the biggest mess of a miraculous catch of fish. They filleted those bad daddies. (laughs) Peter, throw me one. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine? They they see eyes open. They hear deaf ears unstop. Jesus spits, and a guy who's never spoken before all of a sudden begins to speak. He he gets down, and he starts playing in the dirt, and... (laughs) and he spits in the dirt, and he makes a little mud pie, and he applies it to some dude's eyes, and the guy all of a sudden who hadn't seen in his life starts walking around seeing, I'm starting to see. I once was blind, but now I see. They watched Jesus take a little boy's Happy Meal one day with five little McFish wraps. I'm just trying to bring it up to date a little bit. <laughs> Don't want the rap. I just got rebuked from my wife on the front row. Don't do the rap. Five loaves and two fish. Okay, baby, it's fish tacos at Flying Fish on 2nd Street in Memphis. That's what it is. That place is anointed, I want you to know. And they got 12 baskets full, 5,000 men. Don't count the women and children in those days because they were a bunch of chauvinistic pigs. Don't count the women. Don't count the children. Just the men. 5,000 men. There was at least 20,000 people that Jesus took five loaves. Somebody said one time, we know there were really big loaves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. A couple of sardines. He cracks a head off. The head grows a tail. The tail grows a head. And Jesus is just doing this. And the people, the disciples go, here, here's a basket. And they're running around going, okay, sit down over there. Get groups of 50. And all of a sudden, 20,000 people get fed when one little boy with his Happy Meal is willing to put it into the hands of an almighty creator. Don't tell me that a life walking with Jesus is ever boring. Life in the Spirit is God's calling us to an indescribable adventure. Number three, He calls us to participate in His works. John 14, 12 through 14, the Bible says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, say those three words, whoever believes in me, say, everybody say, believes in me, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You know, more than 80% of the population of America believe in a historical Jesus. The epistle of James says, you ain't done nothing because even the demons believe and tremble. This is not just believing that there was a man who came and changed history 2,000 years ago. It's one thing to believe in Jesus. Somebody asked me recently, a close friend of mine said, Michael, you know, I know you believe in Jesus, but do you believe Jesus? I said, brother, you in my face, and I appreciate that. You want to know why we all have to be reminded of that? Because we all have a tendency to live like practical atheists. 
Greg Rochelle is one of my heroes, great man of God for this generation, spirit-filled Methodist pastor, pastoring Life Church, 13, 14 campuses around the U.S., 65, 70,000 people in his congregation that meets in 13, 14, 14 different locations, preaching an absolutely amazing word. Just log on and check out lifechurch.tv. It's a, it's a phenomenal ministry. He wrote a new book that got released April the 1st. It's called The Christian Atheist and what it's all about. I've been in, in the process of reading it. And he's talking about the fact that, that we believe in a God who exists, but we live our lives Monday through Saturday if he wasn't even involved with us. Just going through the motions day in, day out. And we don't invite the wind of the Holy Spirit to come blow through our lives. We've stopped praying about things because we can figure it out. We can refinance. We can finagle our finances a little bit. We've stopped trusting God with the little things because after all, you know, we really just only bother God with the big stuff. I'll take care of the little stuff. And Jesus says, basically, guys, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. I just want you to learn how to pray. I want you to converse with me. I want a relationship with you where you talk to me and I listen and where you shut up a little while and I can whisper the words of my Father into your heart. We can believe in the historical Jesus because there's evidence that obviously demands a verdict. But I just want to ask you this morning, do you have enough faith to get your feet wet? Joshua 3. Flood stage of the Jordan. Some priests who were called of God to cross that river. They're going to take Jericho. They're going to go into the promised land and possess it. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because the generation refused to go and refused to change. And the younger generation paid for it. Had to wait till all those... Sweet little old folks died. God said, I'll, I'll wait on you. I got plenty of time. I got this thing in my hand. The whole world. He got it. And he'll wait. Every generation is given an opportunity. They're stepping before Jordan, and they've got priests holding up the ark of God. Jordan's banks are swollen. And Joshua says the word of the Lord is, when the priests put their feet into the water, God's going to cause the waters of the Jordan to roll back. Now, if you didn't think that didn't take some faith, you're crazy. The Jordan at flood stage is like stepping over here into the Mississippi. Tide rising. Just the Jordan River. There's, there's no swimming this thing. It's deep that season. It's flooded. And the priest had to have enough faith to get the feet wet. Look at your neighbor and say, you got enough faith to get your feet wet? Because God sometimes will let you stick your foot into the middle of your circumstance. You've got to step out by faith before he actually shows up and starts to stir the circumstances and pull them back so that you can see a clear path through the thing that's flooding in your life right now. Do we have enough faith to get our feet wet? One more time and I'm finished. What's the one thing? Say it with me. Life in the Spirit. Say it. Life in the Spirit is God's calling us to an indescribable adventure. One more and I'm finished. He calls us to a mission bigger than we ever dreamed. God has an adventure for you. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the Bible says, there, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are called to a world changing mission. You are a CIA agent. You are part of the church in action. 
Say that. I'm in the CIA. The church in action. You're called to be a change agent. You're a world changer. God has big plans for you that he says, I will do exceeding abundantly above all that you can be even begin to ask or imagine. Think about this. The disciples that we all look at and observe, the motley crew of men that Jesus put together and was able to build some leadership into them and empower them by the Holy Spirit, call them into the wind of adventure, walking with Him, letting them see what He did, releasing them to do while He observed it. And then He said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to empower you with something and even greater works than I have done. You will do yourselves. Well, yeah, but that was the disciples. That's never ended. That promise is to you today as a believer, just like it is to Peter and James and John. Think about this. In a day and time in history when the farthest a man ever traveled was a 35-mile radius out from his home, after Jesus came and touched the lives of these men, Peter sailed to Italy. John ended up in Asia. From the 3rd century historian Eusebius, we have found that James, who was the son of Zebedee, went as far as Spain to preach the gospel. (laughs) Oh, you're not hearing me this morning. What I'm telling you is that when you ask Jesus to come into your heart and he births you from above and you say, empower me with your Holy Spirit, blow through my life, O wind of the living God, he's going to stretch you and do something bigger in you than you could ever even begin to ask or imagine. He will take you places that you never ever thought you would dream that you would go. All of this was done in a day when people never traveled out more than 35-mile radius out of their home. What I'm preaching to you this morning is not the gospel of sin management. That's what you hear in so many churches, the gospel of sin management. What I'm preaching to you this morning is not just about rescuing some individual souls from hell, because that's just about what the reductionist view of Christianity has come down to. It's all about individuals. The culture's going to hell in a handbasket. The government's going to hell. But all we've got to really focus on is let's just take care of these individuals. And I'm telling you, that is true, but that's just one little small portion of the real, true, comprehensive gospel that Jesus preached. Abby, I want you to come to the keyboard if you would. I just want those little chords. It's not just about hanging on until Jesus comes and rescues his weak and fledgling flock. I don't believe that. My eschatology is not one of defeat. I do not believe that Jesus is going to come back and just barely in the last second be able to rescue a little weak and fledgling church that's just hanging on the little last strand of the rope they've got. I believe in a victorious eschatology that in history the church is going to win and we're going to touch the world and we're going to see the triumph of the gospel and Jesus is going to come back. Ephesians chapter 5, for a bride who is spotless, dressed in white, and you know something in her, in the splendor of her glorious wedding dress, when she hikes it up a little bit, you're going to see that she's got on combat boots, honey. Because God has called her to be a change agent in the world that's you some of you you're struggling with thinking about the possibility that God would make you an influencer that somebody could actually grasp something from your life 
I said this and I'll say it again this morning. T.D. Jakes said this a few years ago and it struck me and he said, the amazing thing is, is that while God is still transforming me, he has called me to be a messenger of the gospel of transformation. He's still working on me. Nobody in the room is finished. But thank God you're on a journey. You're not where you used to be. Mm-hmm. But you're not where you're going to be tomorrow. And he's moving. And he's working. And he's changing. And what you used to do and would get away with it and feel good about it. Now you might try it, but you can't even enjoy it anymore. Because the Spirit of God is moving and sanctifying and changing your heart and your desires. Oh, Spirit of the living God, thank you that you're here in this place today. This is about the gospel of transformation. I want to tell you that sin no longer has dominion over you. You can be delivered. You can be set free. It's about tearing down the gates of hell. It's not just about rescuing a few souls from hell. It's about becoming a church that's a bunch of hell raisers. And I want to spell the word R-A-Z-E-R. Because to raise something like that means you tear it down. I just offended a couple of you because you're a little too religious. I want you to say this right now. God's called me to be a hell raiser. That's one who tears down the gates of hell. The Bible says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. That's the word of the Lord. I'm finished this morning. This is about standing triumphant in history. We're going to preach like Greg sings until the whole world hears. Until every nation, tribe, and tongue. You know what? If you've got a little smack of prejudice in your heart, you need to deal with it. Because, honey, when we get to heaven, it's going to be red and yellow, black and white, all of them precious in His sight. We're not going to have it separated for the high church Episcopalians, for the church of Christ who think nobody else is there, shouldn't be anybody else there but them. You know what? Heaven says they got harps up there, too. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. I'm sorry. That was Dennis the Minister. All I'm telling you is it's going to be amazing. When it's all wrapped up and we hand it back to him and Jesus hands the kingdom to the Father and he says, you now fill all things. I'm calling you to adventure, church. I'm calling you to the wind of the Holy Spirit to move and blow through your lives before like he never has. This series, I'm going to ask every one of you to, 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 to put down all of your typical ideas about what you think the Holy Spirit is because I'm asking God to give us a fresh outpouring for people to receive a fresh empowering experience of the Holy Spirit regardless of what your denominational persuasion is or what you might have been taught about the Holy Spirit it's this clear Bible that says be filled with the Spirit of God that's many fillings I need it every day I need a fresh filling today I've been filled in this service, in this worship, in the presence of God. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, my tank is pegging out over there. I guess if I do it for you guys, it's over here hitting on full. It's not empty, baby. It's on full. When we start to miss it is when we start to run on fumes and we need, a, need our tanks filled again. Everybody to bow your head this morning. Let's close our eyes together. Nicodemus said, what are you talking about this whole born again thing? How can a man enter into his mother's womb again? 
Jesus said, no, you're not listening. He said, but that which is born of flesh, like a little baby, that's flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He says, except you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he said, unless you're born of the water and the Spirit, the natural birth, and then again born from above in the spiritual birth, you can't see or enter the kingdom of God. I just want to say to you this morning, if I were to ask you the question right now, if... to ask you the question right now if your life were to end you were to stand before God in his throne he would say why should I let you into my heaven what would your answer be none of us none of us can claim anything in terms of keeping God's law because we've all broken it in the least infraction James says we are guilty of breaking all of it none of us can be perfect in our own right And God is a perfect God a holy God a just God you got to realize that he is giving something to you that is an absolute free gift. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I can't boast about the good stuff I've done because none of it is good enough. Grace means... I didn't earn it. I, can't, I don't deserve it. And God says, hey, I'm just, I want to pour it out to you. I want to give it to you. Gift of God is eternal life. All you have to do right now is to trust and rely on, not just believe in the historical Jesus, but believe Jesus, what he said. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what? O- away with this ridiculous idea that... All- doing is just getting some fire insurance to keep you out of hell. I'm calling you to a life of adventure where God will reveal himself to you and show you how crazy he is about you. He will deliver you from the struggle that you're in this morning. He'll fix your marriage. He'll break your addiction to drugs or alcohol or sex or anything else that you're wrestling with this morning. God is bigger than all of that. He came and lived a perfect and a sinless life. He hung on a cross and he died for you. And he didn't just die. He got up out of that grave and now we are saved by his life. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us turned to our own way, but the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And in this moment in time right now, in this precious holy moment, I would just ask you just to whisper this in your heart and with your mouth and say, Jesus, save me. all you have to do right there. I give you my life. I want to be in this great adventure with you. Something this preacher said this morning has touched me and I'm tired of living in dead religion. I want to live in a real living relationship. Come into my heart and change me. Change my life. In Jesus' name. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed.